Ladies and gentlemen, what is going on? It's Danny, Shane, and Marcus tonight with the GNG Elite Dragon Ball Super Podcast. Tonight we're joined by a special guest, Joey, um, and we're going to be discussing some pretty cool topics. So today we're going to be discussing suspect action and larger events and high-level play, <laughs> taking life in a certain order, and if it's actually impactful, cheating, or if it matters at all, really. Um, a certain topic that I know came up in the Pokemon worlds, which was declumping. And just overall, very powerful cards right now that we see in the format, and if we think they deserve bans. So we'll get it started by letting Joey introduce himself. What's up, guys? Thanks for having me on. Uh, my name is Joey. I'm the guy that runs Crossroad TCG, the YouTube channel, and the Patreon, and I'm also a proud teammate of Sharon's Lair. And uh, thanks for coming out, Joey. We definitely appreciate it, man, and uh, taking some time out of your day to swing by our small little channel and. Uh, give us some of your cool ideas. I know um, I watch your channel a lot, probably more than is a little healthy, but that's all right. <laughs> I really um, appreciate that, man. Thank you guys for having me on. Can confirm I also sub to the Patreon. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Hopefully, hopefully it's helpful. Oh, for sure. For sure. I think uh, between your Patreon and 3XG's Patreon, I think those are probably, man, I'm going to get flagged for this, but probably the two best you can get content from. So, Especially when it comes to consistency. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So let's just jump right into this. Um, suspect actions and larger events and just high-level play in general. Uh, Marcus, what are some of your thoughts on this, or what are some things that you look out for when you're in a high-level event and you think something might come up that's suspect? So there's a, a couple of things that you typically see with, um, like that you can consider suspect action, uh, specifically in high-level play, and we have a couple of those on the table already when it comes to declumping or taking life in um, a quote-unquote random order. Um, but one thing that I always look out for is uh, like someone that seems to take an unreasonably long time to make relatively simple plays. Um, you know, like it's commonly referred to as slow play, but like it could really reasonably just be somebody that's taking their time to thoroughly plan out all of their plays, which is totally reasonable in a competitive environment, especially when there's a lot on the line. But at the same time, it's easily abusable and hard to uh, judge intent or uh, ill intent. Yeah, that's one of the biggest things is like it's it's innocent until proven guilty, right? And like me, like one of my things when I'm at regionals and stuff, like I just I never get draws, I never get into time. Like if you look at my tournament reports on the channel and stuff, like you'll just when I go over the report, I never have a draw. I just I play like relatively fast, I guess. But like one of my closest friends in this game, Danny Wynn, a lot of you guys probably know who he is. He is potentially the slowest player in this entire game, and uh, playing with him just like really grinds my gears just because it takes so long, but. <laughs> I mean, he has he has the results to back it up. So, I mean, sometimes you do need to plan it out. Sometimes it can borderline be slow playing. Um, and I think there's, like, people that you can tell kind of do it maliciously. And some people just, like, don't quite know what they're doing. Like, if, you know, someone's new with the deck, things like that. But, um, yeah, it's hard to draw the line between, like, malicious and um, just, you know, trying that. to figure things out. And, like, nobody ever wants to be that guy that goes and calls a judge and asks the judge to watch for slow play and stuff like that, you know? Yeah, you don't even want to be that guy. Like, um, one of my judges, one of my judge friends said to me one time, he was like, you know, just call a judge over and don't even like, don't even say it in the accusatory way to your opponent. Just be like, judge, I want you to watch this game for slow play. But like, everyone knows you're you're insinuating your opponent's slow playing. But right, um, it's just I've heard so many stories of people just like not calling judges on things they should have called them for, and it's just it's unfortunate. There's like a stigma around it. 
Right. I, I definitely agree with that. How dare you be mean to your opponent by making them play in a proper pace? Yeah, right? I usually, in that instance, I usually tell my opponent that I think they're going a little bit slower than normal. Um, and if they keep on doing it, that's when I call the judge. And I usually tell my opponent that I'm going to call the judge. Like, hey, man, you've been playing really slow the past 20 minutes. Like, we have five minutes left in the game, and we're still on your turn two of of game one. Like, let's... <laughs> Like, let's kick it up a notch. As well as it's also, like, the only thing in the game that tilts me off the daggum planet. <laughs> Somebody starts slow playing, and it make, it drives me insane. Like, my yeah. game one mirror in uh, Ohio was still us 45 minutes for game one. That's Easy. a yikes. Like, and that's yeah, no, I try and take but... He kept crusher balling my self-awakeners and then would not swing his self-awakener so we just sat there diddling for nothing <laughs> yeah. luckily i've never had a tie in an event though from solo play i've gotten really close but uh, i've never gotten an actual draw thank thank yeah you definitely want to avoid it because then if you get that draw like round one round two it, it just puts you in the bracket with all the other people who play really slow and it's equivalent yeah. to a loss nearly when you get one that early in the rounds <laughs> because yeah it's you just, just get like, kind of good tiebreakers yeah, thankfully I too have like one draw out of like seven or eight events. I have a few, but like slow player. Look, man, I don't try to. Marcus, you, sometimes you do play a little slow, but you're all you're the, like we've talked about it before. Marcus, you look at your hand for a solid thirty seconds, and then you'll do the rest of your turn in three seconds, and it's crazy. Like I said, I don't try to play slow. I just I overthink things sometimes. Yeah, I think there's like a time limit mark. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's like what, like 20 seconds or something like that before you make a play, and that's like where the slow play gets called. Is that like, is that accurate? I think it's actually 30 seconds. 30 seconds, right? Something yeah. like that. Yeah. I don't know if Dragon Ball actually has one, but I know like Pokemon and all like those games have one where it's like you have 15 or 20 seconds to make a move that progresses game state, or it's considered slow play. And any move that does not progress game state does not. And you'll recognize the people that are very aware and used to this rule in the way they pace their turns where every action seems to have the same amount of time between it yeah my my turns are usually pretty quick i'm normally always the one that's waiting for my opponent to finish just because i feel like if i take too long i'm gonna overthink and screw something up so I just try and make this the simple stupid play one thing i typically do when i'm playing against somebody that seems to be playing too slow is I'll, uh, I'll just keep mentioning how much time we have on the clock. Like, I'll be like, yeah, we got we got 30 minutes left. It's still game one. I just win game one and take the 1-0. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes you gotta do it like that. Yeah. So, other than slow playing, what are some other things um, that you guys might see that might uh, make you think that your opponent is in some way cheating or intentionally trying to do something a little bit malicious? One thing I try and look out for is like uh, my opponent looking at the bottom of my deck when they shuffle. Um, I've had this happen a few times where I, you know, like I look at them do it and then like I look them straight in the eyes and then they look me in the eyes and they're like, oh, crap. And then they look away <laughs> from my deck. Uh, but sometimes sometimes there's like people who can't shuffle a deck without looking at it. And I like I can understand that if you're just like completely uncoordinated, but like at least like put it so that my sleeves are facing your eyes and not the bottom of my deck, you know? And like, sometimes like, like one of my teammates at one event, I know he was, he said to his opponent, like his opponent shuffled his deck, gave it to him. And, uh, 
my my teammate gave his deck back to his opponent and said, "Okay, shuffle my deck without looking at the bottom." And then he did it again. And they did this they did this back and forth like three times. So uh, <laughs> sometimes sometimes you gotta be like, you know, you gotta enforce like it's a it's a thing about respecting you as a player, and it's also like the integrity of the game. So I mean, back to the whole thing about being afraid to call a judge and like that kind of thing. Like, don't be so afraid to do it. Like, especially if you feel like your opponent's kind of scumming you. Just um, you gotta keep the integrity of the game. Shit, I've called a judge over stupid stuff before just because I don't know how the game's played. <laughs> Shane, yeah. Shane doesn't like to get bullied, so he has a tendency to out-bully the bully. I think, uh, I think something that I look out for is, and I come from Yu-Gi-Oh, so maybe it's just because I'm used to uh, the Yu-Gi-Oh crowd. <laughs> I'll put it that way. And um, I don't like sitting on the aisle where it's like the bigger aisle where there's a lot of traffic where that traffic can see my hand because I always uh, I remember at a YCS once crap uh, I remember at a YCS once uh, my opponent literally had a friend like ten feet behind me and was like motioning to what I had in my hand at like round one. Well, you know and where you went wrong there. If you say playing Yu-Gi-Oh, I'm coming to Pensacola. <laughs> so like that's one of those things I, I can definitely see what you're talking about there and there is an easy way to help kind of like not necessarily remedy the situation because obviously when you go to look at your hand you have to pick it up and open your hand up to kind of like mm -hmm. understand what you have going on but like just set your hand down on the table i just don't sit on that aisle i i, I know but like that's not always an option sometimes you sit on the very last table you know on the end that's of the, on the end of the, uh, the table yeah, I just naturally try not to fan my hand. I I also just like looking at the clock. So <laughs> right, like that sounds like someone manipulating time. No, I just like looking at the clock because I, if it helps me talk, like sometimes I'm really bad with time, and so I might think they're slow playing when in reality they've only taken ten seconds, and I'm just bored. So I look at the clock so I don't slow play because I'm bad about like losing track of time when deciding what line of play I'm going to make. So I try to like keep track of it. So I know if I'm taking too long myself as a way to remind myself to speed up. Yeah. I, I just kind of think I have a decent pace of play. Shane, is there anything specific that you might look for? Um, oh, an opponent? let's get this list started. There's <laughs> a lot of them. I'm going to go walk my dog while you do this. All right. So coming from Pokemon, Anyone who's played Pokemon in the last two years knows they've had quite a few cheating scandals for a while now. Like, it's been pretty bad. Like, let's see. If you uh, declump, I'm immediately watching you. Because declump, cut stacking, all that stuff's happened. Even just this past weekend at Pokemon Worlds, the guy who got second is literally caught declump, cut stacking his deck on stream. So I'm going to watch you on those. Uh, what do you mean by that? So they declump, and they're shifting a card to a certain spot in the deck. So when they shuffle, they manipulate it right towards the middle so that there's a good chance that when you cut, it'll end up in, like, the top four or five cards or so. The way when they play something that draws cards, they'll get it. Oh, especially I Pokemon where your opening hand is seven cards. I declump, but I don't, like, put it in any order, and I just shuffle a lot. Yeah, I mean, decomping is pretty reasonable if you just shuffle a lot afterwards. Like, obviously, it's one of those things that it can seem sketchy for sure, so you got to understand what you're doing when you do that at a high level. But And technically, if you shuffle thoroughly afterwards, then your decomping didn't matter. But it makes you feel better. It's like a placebo effect. 
I yeah, definitely, I, I definitely agree. Uh, let's see what else is there. Uh, Joey, you agree with a? Uh... Yeah, I agree with the declumbing thing because, like, okay, so I also came from Yu-Gi-Oh, uh, kind of bittersweetly, but uh, yeah, that was just something we always did, and there was never a rule about it. Uh, I think Yu-Gi-Oh gets a lot less stream coverage though, so maybe people will call it out a bit less, but. It's just something I've always done since I played that game because it was never like a, a problem or was ever a rule. And then I came to Yu-Gi-Oh! I'm sorry, I came to Dragon Ball. And uh, at my first regional in San Jose, I was on stream in like round four or something. And I was declumping my deck. And like my friends were telling me like all the stream was like saying you were stacking and stuff. I was like, what? Because I was declumping my deck. And I was like, well, this is like this is like brand new to me. I was like, this is I did not know this is like a problem. So I am a fan of declumbing just because, like, I hate when, like, my cards stick together. I don't want to brick and draw, like, you know, card after card after card being the same thing. But I agree. Like, you obviously have to shuffle very thoroughly. Like, I've looked into, like, the math of it. And, like, after seven riffle shuffles, that's, like, the when, that's when your deck is supposedly perfectly randomized. So, like, I mean, you could enforce a rule like that. Like, you know, seven riffle shuffles before you present your deck to your opponent. But that would kind of probably be like too meticulous. So, but that's like a good, good, yeah, good rule of thumb for anyone who's looking to like make sure the deck is completely randomized, whether you're shuffling your own deck or your opponent's deck, like seven to 10 riffle shuffles, that'll, that'll do it pretty well. Right. And like, obviously not every person, I mean, even it seems fair to say almost a just small fraction of the amount of people who are declumping are cheating. However, right. the vast majority of cheaters are declumping. So you have to be careful. Yeah, definitely. That's another thing you have to realize too is that like a very small pool of the players are cheaters. Like it's it's a very small fraction, but you know when it gets caught, it's it's a great thing that it gets caught. But obviously, it gets a lot of attention around it. Yeah, Twitch is also uh, Twitch chat is also really reactive. Um, I know when I made my thing, I wasn't even on stream in Dallas when uh, I made my misplay against Eggman and the just <laughs> you brought it up. Well, that's fine. But what I'm saying is like. Twitch chat, somebody literally PM'd me and told me to go jump off a bridge and die because Ooh. I got a ruling wrong. I they literally like, said that to you? Yeah, yeah, I got a PM from like some random account and then uh, that account from Facebook got deleted. I was like, what? I wasn't even on stream. And it happened That's like cool. three weeks after the event. I was like, what? <laughs> what? That's so awful, dude. <laughs> What'd you say, Shane? Eggman put a hit out on you. That's yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, what did you have after that, though, Shane? Uh, take your life out of order. I'm immediately watching you for mark cards. I mean, like most people are going to do it, and they're not cheating. However, still going to watch. But that's the thing, though, that uh, like almost 100% of players don't do. At least from my experience, like people set up their lives either like four by four or two by four. Um, what is it? Uh, four by, by two, two or two, two by. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean um so people either set their life up like that and they take it in like a very methodical way and yeah like taking your life out of order it's just something that is so unnecessary and it just like causes suspicion so i don't i don't see any reason to do that yeah like math wise like if you take all feelings and uh illogical factors out of play mathematically it doesn't make a difference so if it's right. just because it makes you feel better then understand it's not cheating but you're putting suspect on yourself by taking life out of order and there is a chance that under random circumstance, something is found wrong with a sleeve that you just happen to take randomly, and it's taken for a marked card. You could have a, a clipped corner, you could have a smudge or a smear, and that could be enough. Yep. 
there's there's like the argument too going around like oh there's that one card you'll never see and like that's going to be the case no matter what order you take your life in there's going to be one card and i understand what they're saying like that one card in the top left corner of your life if you do like you know two by four or whatever and um you know i can understand if like if you're like on stream and like you've never you've never taken life out of order before and like you're in a crucial point in the game you need that luck sack off your life and like you take a random life that one time and it like happens to be clutch. I can understand that. But like, if you're doing it constantly, that is just, that's way too suspicious for me. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Am I, how do you guys feel about calling judge if you see a sleeve that's damaged? I know I've done it at a one event. Now I did it in um, Orlando. Someone's sleeve just like, looked like it had a fingernail imprint on it. And the judge just made him change it, and it ended up being, like, some crappy card anyways. It wasn't, like, the big boss monster of his deck. But, like, do you guys ever notice that and just uh, think not to call judge? Or do you – how do you feel about it? So I think majority of the time, people that have damaged sleeves are just irresponsible. They just don't take care of their stuff, or they use the same sleeves for too long, thinking it'll yep. be okay. Or and... they're not ultra pro. <laughs> and they shuffled them three times. Um so, like, I don't think the majority of people are have ill intentions when it comes to it, but this is actually the exact the exact way marked cards have been found numerous times in high-level competitive play among all different games, where there's corners that are dinged or um, sleeves with fingernail indents on them. There was a situation in, I don't remember which game it was, I think it was Magic, where a player was marking other people's sleeves and getting them DQ'd. Because, sounds like it. Yeah, I heard about that. Because he was just rough with the sleeves uh, when checking their graveyard. Yeah, the fingernail thing is huge, and like I haven't had that come up personally. But if if one sleeve is just like if it's just like I don't know if it's got like a ketchup stain on it or something like if it's so indistinguishable, <laughs> like if it's so crazily in, like distinguishable from the rest of the deck, like yeah, I would, I would call a judge on it because uh, even if they're not doing it intentionally, like that's just I, then I could tell what card it is in the deck, and that's just not cool. Y'all heard it here I, first. If it's if it's honey mustard, he won't check. But if it's ketchup, that's specifically ketchup. Yeah. If it's <laughs> if it's mayo, you'll be all right. But if it's ketchup, that's not cool. <laughs> Fun fact: I almost got in trouble for marked cards at uh, Ohio. Why am I not surprised? Because I bought Ultra Pro and they're garbage. I always try to keep ten to fifteen extra sleeves in my deck box empty um just in case the sleeve breaks or i ding the corner of one or you know you you drop a card by accident out of your hand and you go to catch it but you smush it so you bend the sleeve in half stuff like that yeah i do the same thing that's some pretty tilting stuff that happens to me like if you some in Yu-Gi-Oh, it used to be this way where uh, a certain rarity like um especially effect veilers and that god i forgot what the rarity is called it's been so long Yes. So, like, ultimate rare effect veilers were, like, the flimsiest thing in the world. Like, I've seen toilet paper that's better than those effect veilers. <laughs> Agreed. Like, I remember one time my opponent was reading my effect veiler and just, like, didn't really think what he was doing. Oh, God, I hope he wasn't. And, like, bent the card in half. I was like, uh. Like, literally, you like, could breathe on him and they'd fold in half. Yep. But, Joe, you probably know that coming from Yu-Gi-Oh! Yeah, dude. I actually I had a pair of, of a set of ulti veilers until recently. Now they're like two hundred bucks a piece. But yeah, they're so flimsy. And it's uh, pretty frustrating. Yeah. Uh, Shane, did you have anything else? It sounded like you had uh, more to talk about. The only thing I want to point out is I wasn't marking cards before somebody <laughs> listens to this and pulls that contact. <laughs> oh man. So is there anything Literally, else? That... I like. 
the judge called me over. He was like, do you see anything wrong with these sleeves? And I was like, all right, do you want me to replace them or am I getting some sort of infraction? Because I just want to cut straight to the point. Like, I won't beat around the bush about it. So then he's like, yeah, but why would you mark a single training buddy Krillin in a single 30K? I'm like, okay, cool. We're good. Yeah, I had the same <laughs> issue at, uh, at the Virginia Regional a few months ago. Like, um, one of the judges called me over for a deck check in top 16. And uh, there was one sleeve that you can kind of just, like tell from the side of the deck, but it was like a crap card. And I had like, just like uh, Marcus said, I had like the extra sleeves in my deck box. So it was just easy fix. Yep, I had the extra sleeves too. Yeah, I've been deck checked a few times over the years, obviously, and I think only once I've had a deck check come back where they're like, yeah, replace these three sleeves. Like, they just straight up told me to replace them, didn't ask any questions. So if you're ever going to an event, guys, and you uh, make sure that you have extra sleeves with you in a deck box or in something else, that way you can quickly replace something if you see it messed up. You don't want to be that guy that has to go, oh, man, I got to go to the vendor and buy a pack of sleeves. Like that's $10 for a new pack of sleeves? to secure your sanity and your, uh, you know, like potential for like not being called out for cheating when you're definitely not, um, is definitely worth, worth. like, plus I don't want to touch your crusty sleeves. If you hand me a sleeve <laughs> and it's got like some dirt on it, I'm not going to cut your deck or heaven forbid like, some I, ketchup. No, I'm going to grab some hand sanitizer out and I'm going to like squeeze it all over your deck. Cause you're cleaning your deck off. <laughs> Danny, that's the day you get DQ'd for damaging other people's property. <laughs> let let them, let them, <laughs> let them. So I just have one more, and we can finally move on. So this is kind of no one's really brought this up yet. So I might be the only one who does this. But if on like I'll let one slide, but the moment more than once you've forgotten if you've used an effect already in a turn, I start watching you. That's yeah. a fair one. That's a it's fair like, one. Did I draw with my leader skill? You know, like, like I, well, especially with like figure of majesty being the big one that seems to happen. Oh yeah, did I draw my upside figure? Down. Just yeah. flip it 180 degrees. Can't forget then. That's true. Or you could just not forget in general. You know. Well, yeah. yeah. Easy thing is like put a dice on it. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. What um for my Nimba leader, whenever I'm playing Janimba, I have a card that I set to the left of it and I just flip it up whenever I've used my Janimba leader. It's like the Dragon Ball superhero card hit or something. I keep a GX counter from Pokemon in my deck box. Yeah, and if like my opponent's using like the Shenron leader, then I'll just keep a dice and I'll move it to their leader or like right beside just to remind myself that they've already used it. I even have a burn damage counter from Pokemon in there for like playing against Vegeta Babians. <laughs> well uh sounds like we kind of went over everything that we think is a little suspect um we wanted, hit up oh, sorry maybe we I did i wanted to elaborate a little bit more on declumping because we touched on it but we didn't really go for like one of the reasons like why you see it a lot in dragon ball um and one of the biggest things is dragon the actual dragon ball cards uh in the wish decks um like we see a lot of people declump their wish leaders, or not their wish leaders, but their Dragon Balls in their wish deck, and I think that's totally reasonable, because um, it's so easy for that stack to get stuck together, and then the next game, you just draw five Dragon Balls turn one, and all of a sudden your opponent is looking at you like you're sketchy because you just drew five Dragon Balls turn one, you know? <coughs> so it's almost kind of oh. sketchy to not declump 
your Dragon Balls in your Wish deck? I've always just thrown the seven in as soon as the game's over in different places in the deck without looking at the deck. And that's then clumping. <laughs> yeah, that is kind of clumping, but it's like it's a it's a valid thing because um oh man, I completely lost my train of thought with that. Sorry. <laughs> someone, else take, someone else take the train. <laughs> uh, so I, one reason why I think you would be kind of used to declumping coming from Yu-Gi-Oh, if I'm not mistaken, the game kind of, it's been at the point several times through its lifespan where the decks thin themselves so quickly and you go through so many copies of cards in a, like in sequence that you'll typically end up with the same cards stacked to top of each other in the discard pile. Is that not uh, incorrect? Yeah, it's pretty accurate. Like in Yu-Gi-Oh, like turn one, you're always trying to go for like usually a turn one combo, which like usually revolves around the same card over and over and over again. So if you're not declumping, you're gonna get those next to each other every single time. And that's gonna happen the same thing with Dragon Balls. Like you wanna make sure those are spread out throughout the deck. Um so I would also declump those too. Right, absolutely. Yeah. But then obviously the only- again, again, you wanna give it like oh, I remember where I was going a second ago. So yeah, so you want you wanna give it like a good riffle shuffle afterwards to make sure you don't, you know, draw five Dragon Balls turn one. The other thing too is though, like sometimes like opponents will like do the Yugi Moto shuffle that like actually just doesn't shuffle your deck in any way, and um, that's like kind of you know a problem too. Like you always want to make sure you're um, really randomizing your deck. That's another thing. Japanese players get hit with a lot at like Pokemon Worlds, and I don't know about Magic or Yu Gi Oh, but I would assume if it's common in Pokemon, it happens there too, where like the Japanese players don't really shuffle their decks like at all. They do the Yugi Moto thing a couple times and then present their deck and immediately get warning. <laughs> am I am I the only one that does both? I'll usually riffle shuffle about five times and then I'll do the Yugi Moto and then that's I present my deck after I've done the Yugi Moto shuffle. So Bro, I'll shuffle the my final. Go ahead, go ahead, Marcus. Uh, I shuffle my own deck and then I cut my own deck, but I do the quote unquote Yugi Moto shuffle where you like pull the middle out, stack it on top, and do that a few times. But yeah, like, I do the I same thing. I'm riffle very... shuffle first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't do it without riffle shuffling, that's for sure. The finals of Pokemon World, the guy who got second literally got a double prize penalty, which essentially equated to a game loss because it ended the game. Game one, because he Yugi Moto shuffled, presented his deck, the stream judge stopped the game, it was like double prize penalty, you've already been warned. Because he had been Jeez. doing it all day or all weekend. Yep. So now I have a question that I saw pop up in um, one of the Facebook feeds. I think it was yesterday or the day before. Someone said uh, that it infuriated them whenever they presented their deck to their opponent and their opponent ripple shuffled instead of just normal cutting. Um, uh, I know when I go to pick up the deck, well, when I go to pick up the deck, I ripple shuffle and then I do a single cut. Um, I know in Yu-Gi-Oh, I don't know how it is in Dragon Ball. In Yu-Gi-Oh, if you... Um, <clears throat> So if Marcus, you presented your deck to me and I cut it, you can cut it one final time and then present it to me to cut again. Yeah, I don't know if that's a thing in Dragon Ball or not, though. I don't. I don't believe it is. I've asked about it, and um, you know that's another way to kind of try and stop if you if you suspect your opponent of cheating you, or you know if you don't think they randomize the deck properly. The final cut is a way to like ensure that. But yeah, I don't think it's a rule in Dragon Ball that you can do that. Yeah, but um, anyways, in Dragon Ball, I riffle shuffle and then I'll cut one final time how do you guys feel about that do you feel like it's okay to riffle shuffle your opponent's deck or anything other than a riff other than bridge shuffling people who do that cringe me so let's go last because i want to address it in a very personal manner since i know the person you're talking yeah i uh i do it i say 200 percent. it's totally reasonable to 
shuffle somebody's deck and then cut it. Um, if they shuffled randomly, then they're, and they're they're not cheating, then there's no reason for them to be upset about it. Yeah, like especially at a high level event, I definitely think it's fair game to riffle shuffle your opponent's deck. And if and if they think you're being too rough with their cards, all they have to do is say something. You know, like I I have I play against um some younger kids at my locals and like their hands are kind of small, so like they can't shuffle the deck properly. So like sometimes they bang it on the table to shuffle it. And I'm like, dude, like just chill out a little bit. So th those 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 kind of things where I can understand like if you think someone's being rough with your deck and it's expensive or whatever, but riffle shuffling, especially at a high end event, is definitely a fair game. And when I think you scream at a little kid because they bang your victory strike, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, bandit in half. <laughs> so I think it's one of those things too where um, at a high level event, if you're concerned, like this is for the people that don't want their cards damaged, right? If you're concerned about the person that's shuffling and cutting your deck, might damage it. Ask the person that, like, let's say you want to shuffle your opponent's deck, and they don't want you to because you might damage their deck. You can ask a judge to shuffle it for you. Yeah. It's that simple. Just ask for a judge shuffle. Yeah, the judges are always there to help, so if you ever need anything, to make sure to call them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Shane, okay. what did you have to say about so, it? So, the person who made that post is someone I actually played against at Atlanta Regionals last year, and Jordan's a super cool dude. Like, I had a great time playing him. There's not a doubt in my mind that he is 100%, like, not a cheater, like, at all. Dude is great. However, Which Jordan? if I did not, uh, his name is Jordan Ray. Okay. However, if I did not know Jordan, my, like, biggest of red flags would alert at that kind of statement. Yeah. Like, I immediately think you're up to something if you don't want me shuffling your deck. Yeah, I think it's more of a casual mind state, too. Like, I don't know any player who plays at a regional that has not allowed me to ruffle shuffle their deck. It just hasn't been a thing. Yeah, when I, and this is just coming from Yu-Gi-Oh, where in, um, Joey, you were talking about this earlier when your opponent looks at the bottom of your deck. I actually like having a leader for the simple fact that, like, it seems like that matters a lot less, whereas in Yu-Gi-Oh, you don't know what you're playing against, and if someone, like, looks at the bottom of their deck, it can change the whole way they play. But, um... Whenever yeah, I that, that blind turn one dweller. <laughs> yeah, when you're playing like Burning Abyss, like, oh, I know you had that. But um when in this game, I think whenever I riffle shuffle, I just look away from my opponent and in their deck just to try and give them some peace of mind that I'm not trying to cheat them or anything like that. So if you're ever worried about something like that, you can always just ask your opponent to look away while they shuffle your deck and something too. If you're like worried that maybe your leader's like the gogeta ramp leader but instead you're like playing mono yellow and you got some crazy spice going on and i, I mean i think so. that's reasonable that should be a standard process in uh in comp competitive play when you're shuffling your opponent's deck anyways to look away as you shuffle their deck yeah yeah, yeah i try to i'm just kind of clumsy and then i end up dropping their deck <laughs> um but uh is that all the things that we had to talk about for kind of like suspect play and declumping and taking life in order I think so did anybody else All have right. anything else they wanted to input? I think we're good. Uh, I think that was actually it. Okay. All right, so uh, next we're going to move on to some really powerful cards that we think are strong. Uh, maybe not ban-worthy. Maybe they are ban-worthy, you know, depending on uh, your interaction with them and how you think about the game and perceive the meta state. Um, I know the card that I would like to bring up for maybe, maybe not being banned, maybe being limited, would be World Peace. I think that card facilitates a little um, too much nastiness in the game. Um, so, maybe I'm wrong though. So what do you guys think? 
I can definitely see what you've saying. Um, I agree that World Peace, as they release bigger, more powerful battle cards that don't have restrictions on how they have to be played, um, will be more and more relevant as the years come. Um, if you look at some of the cards they've printed and the way they operate, uh, like Foreseeing Hit, for example, um, says specifically when you play it from your hand, right? That little keyword or that little bit of phrase in the first sentence of its effect makes all the difference in how powerful that card is. Because you can imagine all these decks that can spam cards like World Peace being able to spam out forcing hits multiple times in a turn. Yeah, I agree. And like I did a lot of discussions on my uh on my channel where when like Child's Wish was a big problem, I I made mention that like World Peace is going to have a similar issue because it's so generic and that's been I think one of the biggest problems that the game has seen is when cards are just too generic. Like Mecha Frieza was too generic in the sense that you could use effect for offensive and defensive extra cards. And we've had issues like the uh, Storm Engine being too generic. So uh, I do I think that was a problem that you could kind of foreshadow from Child's Wish. And uh, when you could play a bomb deck like Shenron Ramp that just like plays all the good seven drops in the game and just pukes them onto the board like turn five ish. That's uh, it's pretty it's pretty dumb, in my opinion. Man, I missed my knockapot agreed. When you can play essentially 28 energy worth of battle cards on your fifth turn of the game, there's a problem. Yeah, and I really like cards like um, Plea for Salvation. Like it's it's basically just a green world piece, and I really really like that because it's not too generic. Like it gives green, which is already like a lacking color, it gives green a way to like do powerful things like that, but it doesn't open it up to the entire card pool. And I think that's a really good design. So uh, I, don't, I don't think world peace is on a level that child's wish was at, but that would be just like my two cents. Like, I think it is a pretty stupid card. One thing they could have done instead of just banning child's wish or banning world peace, potentially is just make it to where you can only play one desire a turn. Yeah, that would be uh, something like, I know. Like, that you can't something. spam these cards multiple times in a turn. Like the ramp deck wouldn't have any reason to get up to eight energy as fast as humanly possible uh, to try to put, you know, three gigantic battle cards into play because they can make one relevant play for free and then hard cast something, right? But then that's more energy restrictions and they have to be careful what they charge, what they discard. Um, but these are also cards that the, the way they're designed doesn't allow for a lot of counterplay, right? Because they've recently introduced cards like uh, the, the whole cycle in set seven where it says discard a card when you combo with it to do one of the two effects, right? So one is good against Janemba, the other one is good against decks like World Peace. But it it's a card you have to draw. It costs a card from your hand rather than just being free. It uh, And it doesn't answer multiple cards, you know? Yeah. I think I think that would be a good answer. Shane, it sounded like you were trying to bring something up, man. Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> Sorry. Whoa. Hold on. Uh, We're talking about world peace. Oh, so if you actually go back to like when Set 5 came out, it kind of feels like they intended for the desires for the most part to be a once per turn kind of thing. We just kind of broke the game as players because we're American and that's what we do. Yeah, I could see that. Like even in Shenron Gogeta's like heyday before now, you cast one world peace a turn. Yeah, yeah, I don't think the once per turn thing is like the best solution just because like people were offering that up um, when Child's Wish was a problem. And I actually did a video on my channel where I played a few games with 
the once per turn rule and it didn't actually solve anything like Shenron uh, super Shenron was still able to skip turn on turn four consistently. And uh, it didn't really fix too much. So I think that I just think the genericness of the cards is the main issue. So it probably fixes world peace a little bit more than it fixed child's wish uh, because child's wish is more restrictive than world peace is. Um, but I, I can see what you mean. I mean, yeah, if you did the testing for it, then it does make sense. Yeah. I, um, <clears throat> I, I agree with what Joey was saying with it. It's, I feel like it's more healthy if there is just like a plea for salvation for every color that does something a little different. Cause I believe a plea pops something as well. Is that correct? Pops a two drop or lower. Yeah. And so it only revives green battle cards. Yeah, so like blue had one and like red had one. Um, and, Lee, and red kind of got the familial bonds thing. I think we'd be in probably a little bit healthier of a state, but then then we have other decks that might take over, but probably wouldn't be as strong as uh, that ramp deck. That ramp deck's a little insane and a little too unhealthy, in my opinion. I, I kind of agree. Like, Gogeta 7 with Shenron was like obviously kind of broken, but it wasn't like like as absurd as what we're seeing now so like if all you can do is gogeta 7 me instead of gogeta 7 and kaoken and victory strike all in the same turn then yeah i'm okay with that the one thing i will say kind of like as devil's advocate though like i saw a post on facebook i think it was yesterday the day before where um somebody was calling for i think it was i think it was yeah yeah for objection that was it that was it uh they were calling for an objection ban and they were saying like you know this leads to all the big boss monsters getting played too early this and that but um there is there are pretty good ramp answers and and dende is kind of too costly for its effect but um forced ejection forced ejection mass saying is like i live and die by that card like that card is so good against ramp especially if your opponent's going to be like two energy up on you no matter if they go first or second that card's always live and you could loop it um to resolve it twice in one turn if you play two of them by like playing one awakening overwhelming the other one so there are decent answers for it, which is why I don't think it's like the scale of like Super Shenron, but um, it is still an annoying card for sure. I definitely see what you mean. Um, when you look at like uh, the the funny thing is the person that suggested objection be banned is actually one of our teammates, Brian Reed. Right. Yes, and, I do remember uh, that now. Yep. <laughs> so I'm not of the opinion that banning around a problem will solve a problem. Because we will eventually get to a point to where it's a problem once again. Um, world peace will always be on the cusp of breaking the game if they ever design a card that is generically powerful without any restrictions. And that's kind of what Kaioken is. Now, 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 Marcus. Just because we ban world peace won't make it easier for you to top. I don't know what you're talking about. The last few <laughs> times I topped, I was playing storm and then like you know all those all the stuff i played a band i'm just you know, trolling anthony hernandez <laughs> oh god but no i agree force objection max sand is pretty good um and the fact that you don't have to like overwhelm with it to get its ability is pretty pretty cool or you could play it off the uh, anniversary box mass sand and it just stays in play yeah so uh i know that we kind of just hit on kaioken we hit on uh gogeta 7 and we hit on the fact that um, a world piece allows you to play those cards for free or for uh, multiple cards in the turn for free. Is there any other powerful cards that we can think of that, you know, maybe not banned, but maybe hit or something like that needs to be looked at definitely? You guys can think of. 
Yeah, Shane brought up Bobbity, which I think is a pretty relevant one. Um, it's definitely an oddly designed card. Yeah, but is it that bad, though? I don't think a card needs to, like, completely dominate a format in order to get banned. That's fair. Um, but if we look at what deck it's played in right now, it's played in what? Mostly um, that um, Frieza, Prison Frieza deck, sorry. Right. And I don't and think we're necessarily talking about right now. I'm just, I think we're talking about in general. Like, like if you already had to errata the card, you probably should just ban. Possibly. But uh, I don't know that it deserves, I do think it can promote unhealthiness on bringing out double Kaioken. But um, the card feels not too bad. Sorry, what were you saying, Joey? Uh, I was just saying, I think the biggest problem is Kyle Ken there because, in my opinion, like Bobbity's only as good as the bombs they can bring out. And uh, Kyle Ken is just like a really stupid card. And I don't think it's like that busted because we have, you know, turn four with conditions that can get underneath Kyle Ken. But it's still like a really dumb card that should not have deflect. Probably shouldn't look at your hand like as many times per turn as you want. It probably should have been like a once per turn thing. See, it honestly seems like secret red level power, but um, again, there are answers to it. You know, we have Mutaito, we have like the uh, Chomp of the Trickster, things it's like that. It's literally better than most of the secret rare. Think of it. Yeah, the card, the card is absolutely insane. If they had just restricted it to green sand leaders only, it'd be unplayable. <laughs> Excluding Clash that. Goku. Hmm. But then you'd have a reason to play Raditz or something. Clash Goku. It just kind of makes me wonder what Bandai is going to come out with uh, next that's going to be strong, because Kaioken's a little nutty. Um, next set will just be complete and utter trash. It is kind of crazy. I think Shane was definitely on the, on the mark there when he said Kaioken is, on average, more powerful than most of the secret rares in the game. Yeah, there's like um, that Hyper Evolution secret rare or whatever. Isn't that, isn't that card trash? Like, has that card it's, even seen competitive play lately? It's only good in one single deck strategy. <laughs> it's that triple flash, right? Yeah. yeah and we've it's, seen it's only how... playable because of triple flash. <laughs> and, we've, and we've seen like how many of that top? There's Wait, yep. can you even play it in that deck? Hyper Evolution doesn't have any restrictions other than what it has to evolve on. Yeah, I thought it had to be a six drop. Uh, I think it's just six drop or higher, isn't it? Well, isn't triple flash only a five drop? It goes on top of the five drop, and you evolve on top of the triple flash. Wow. Anyway, Shane, we not, we you don't read cards, bro. How how are you gonna comment? You don't even read cards. Yeah, it's a cost of six or more. So you play triple flash, which is a seven drop, and this can evolve on top of triple flash. Yeah, but like cards like that are just like garbage. <laughs> so it's. Bandai, just take a chill pill. <laughs> take a, take um, a chill pill. I think the biggest one in everybody's mind, on average, is one that uh, Joey was going to bring up, I think, right? With Gogeta Hero Revived? Yeah, that card is the bane of my existence. Um, it just <laughs> it just does way too much. Um, all the keyword skills. And again, it, it hasn't even like taken the format by storm. It's never been tier zero. It's never been this, never been that. But it's just such a stupid card from like a design perspective. And... I guess like Bandai wants the game to be over by a certain time frame, which makes sense again, but still it's just it never feels good from I from my opinion from either player's perspective. Like I've asked Shamron Gogeta players, like, 
do you enjoy this deck or do you play it just because it, it wins games and you know they play it because it, it wins games even if you like mutaito the gogeta you get set back so far that it's hard to make a comeback it's just um it's just such a dumb card that i think should have been banned from day one you know like one of the worst feelings in the world is that new ramp deck lets you play gogeta 7 and then you kaioken and it's like congratulations you, you didn't still lose the game so you can have <laughs> like, yeah it's pretty dumb <laughs> or uh you know you just take them to three hit them with gogeta they take three and then you gogeta again like <laughs> congratulations <laughs> someone someone did bring up an interesting point though on facebook the other day where uh they proposed the banning of the shenron leader itself which i think is actually also a good fix because to be honest like gogeta 7 outside of shenron is infinitely less scary like if all you have to do is play around one triple strike that is a lot less scary you know i just stay at four life defend my life there if they want to triple strike me i'll just go to one life and then we'll see what happens from there but um the fact that you can pair it with the crit pair it with the triple attack shenron leader is probably a, a bit again a bit too generic for uh, for what it does just the only problem is banning the shenron leader doesn't answer the current like iteration of the deck because then you just play Perunga. yeah well the triple attack is what kind of does it for that i don't think attack. you need the triple attack if you just go g to seven into ko ken take their whole hand away and then bring in victory strike yeah that is pretty dumb so Perunga then i mean Perunga would have less flexibility like but you'd be able to be a be a bit more spammy and if you have the crazy boss monsters to be spammy then you're just gonna do crazy things but That's yeah possible. i agree like every um, other time, I would 100% agree. I just think this deck's aids. One of the things I think about the Shenron leader specifically is they just errata it instead of triple attack. Just make it triple strike. Mm. Like yeah, they I'm did okay it with, with they did it with freaking uh, with or with the super Shenron leader. They took it from 20 cards to 20 battle cards. battle cards. Yeah, 30. 30. 30. Is it 30? Ban the card. I thought they made it 30. I'm pretty sure they just said 20 it's battle 30. cards, right? No, it's 30. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. It's just miserable to play now, you know? I'm also going to take advantage of this moment to point out y'all were wrong, and you cannot secret rare on top of Triple Flash. Why not? Because Triple Flash says you can't use EX Evolve for the rest of the turn. You yeah, do you it the do next, next turn, turn, you big dummy. Bro, you don't get a next turn. You what? totally can. No, you just die. Shane, stop. Oh. <laughs> Um, and I mean, we talked about Kaioken a little bit. The fact that it can take multiple cards in a single turn, like, it's kind of obnoxious. While getting stronger? Right. So, what's crazy is we're talking about this really powerful deck, and then Jordan Markle 2 owed it in uh, the finals. Well, so, I like, think he Toa's absurd. So, how do we feel about Toa? Do we feel like that deck is, uh, what do we think about that, guys? So, Big Boy Mira is, uh, it's a good card. Card is really good, but I think self mill in this game still is like Toa is obviously super strong. It's been doing really well, but it has had a ton of representation. So that definitely probably adds to why it does so well. But um, like self mill in this game, at least from my testing, is still pretty bad because I've had so many instances where I can only resolve like one mirror a game, and that's not enough to get you there because you just mill all your other mirrors or you draw your other mirrors. And then like, you know, your opponent deals with your regulators, so you can't get them back into the deck. It just. For me, it, it takes a a, a well-oiled engine for Toa to run properly, and I feel like there's so many decks in the game that can interrupt that engine. Yeah. I Unless you're well. super lucky and your mirrors are always in your deck, but... Uh, it was a huge boost to Overwhelm decks as a whole uh, with the introduction of Vegeta Time Regulator. 
definitely like so that does help a lot but you can't account for every bit of variance you know you could just every mill could be seven drop mirror plus um time regulator every single time yeah well, or, or super combo yep and like part of the problem is so with the introduction of all the counterplays it kind of checked like almost everything in the game except Toa. Yeah, I mean, that 5-drop mirror having to flex is pretty insane, but uh, at least our overall one doesn't have to flex, so there's that going for it. Right. That's true. I I think the deck is good, but I don't think it's overpowered or anything like that. I agree. Like, like you can kind of bully them the first three turns, like, before they awaken. Oh, yeah. Because they don't they don't have the God Strike effect, obviously. Um, I think I think their big strategy against Toa is just go as wide as possible. And, and they have cards like Supreme Kai, Time Disruptor, to stop that. But... You know, if you have like chain attack aggro or like arrival aggro, you can you can sneak in some early damage pretty good. Oh, for sure, I know plenty about that. <laughs> I think um, I think something you have to ask, and like, and with Toa specifically, is are we talking about taking the Yu-Gi-Oh approach, where you're like you kind of just hit a whole format to warp it? Or are we taking the Pokemon approach where you literally only hit absolutely broken cards? I mean, they kind of just did that in ma in Modern, too, for Magic. <laughs> I think hitting just absolutely broken cards is probably a good thing. But I also, I did enjoy looking forward to a ban list and seeing how a format would shape up. And in this no, case, I, I like the ban list you're doing so much. I, I hated the Yu-Gi-Oh! approach of, like, using a ban list as basically rotation. Like, I hated that. I just feel like... I felt like I was taken for a ride. Like they, I, they didn't care about the consumers at all, which really made me. That was one of the big reasons I quit the game. I just felt like Konami could not care less about the players. Uh, and I really appreciate how Bandai is like very vocal with the community. I appreciate their approach to the ban list, like giving us reasons, explanations as to why things are banned. They might not get it right all the time. They might miss a few things, but I really, really like their approach. Yeah, yeah. I don't care what anybody says. Bandai is great. They're yeah. they're trying, and that's the thing. They're, and they're trying very us. hard. Yeah, yeah and I think I think a lot of people don't get this because like, you know, some people don't go to events and don't meet these people. But like the dev team for Dragon Ball Super, it's a small group of like, you know, younger people. They're in their like 20s and 30s that are just making this game. And like they they relate to us a lot and they really do care about the game. Like it's not like when you think of Bandai for Dragon Ball Super, you shouldn't think like big corporation, like greedy, mon money hungry people. Like they're a business at the end of the day. They need to make their profits. But people that make our game are are really cool people. Yeah, I, I agree. I I was talking to Shane and Marcus a while ago, um, and I was telling them, you know, I've been to a lot of white CSs. I went to nationals, and like other than nationals and the voice actors, I never saw the devs. I went to the Orlando celebrations, and they like brought the whole dev team out. They showed this awesome video. It was really hype. Um, Man, that's the kind of stuff I think. Yeah, and that's the kind of stuff I think shows you that the company cares and. Uh, or like well, at nationals, how they had um, did like a few of the devs playing in the gunslinger event, so you got a chance to play against some cool. of them. Yeah. Now, uh, if they just get the voice actors of like Goku and Vegeta to like come to nationals, that'd be pretty pretty awesome. <laughs> that'd be sick. But yeah, that was like that was the exact image I got of Konami. And if and if you never played Yu-Gi-Oh or don't really play video games, like you probably never heard of Konami. But Bandai could could like um debatably be like a household name. Like Bandai is a really really big company, but. I don't get that vibe with them for Dragon Ball, but I got the uh, you know big company greedy kind of vibe from Konami, and that was one of my biggest turnoffs from the game. Hundred yeah, like, percent get it from Wizards of the Coast. Oh yeah, like 
what do you get for winning a YCS other than the prize card? You get like a Nintendo Switch. Like I actually, I did a video on this a few weeks, uh, like two weeks ago. Yeah, you get like a prize card, which only goes out to top four. Uh, you get like a console, which you know is is pretty cool, admittedly. Then you get like a playmat, deck boxes, like nothing else really. And especially for regionals, like you top oh, eight a regional, God. <laughs> all you get all you get is a deck box and a playmat. Like it's so not worth it. Bandai's learning a lot though, because like man, they're really starting to realize this season that they can literally just print money when it comes to price. Yeah, yeah, like people people love like people love celebrations where you got boxes. Like it's super cheap for Bandai to produce, and people love it. So you just keep doing that. You know, when, uh, when I topped Ohio. I sold the giant Gogeta leader for $45. I sold the stamp foo for 110. And like, while that's not a lot, like it still made me plus on the week. When I topped to Ohio, I got it. two packs. Well, that's because you played in the pride event. <laughs> when I topped the Argent Saga event the following day, I got a metal card. But uh, something that I think would be cool is like maybe like the top half instead of getting like playmats or whatever um a lot of people like to put pins on their backpack backpacks or whatever and i think giving out like a cool metal pin for like top 50 percent would be pretty cool too there's i would like be so, a fan of less playmats there's just like so much stuff they could do and it's it's pretty cool they have the feedback so it's good to see so all you guys out there saying that dragon ball has terrible pricing go to Yu-Gi-Oh regionals and then come talk to me like but Joey said crazy, in his video. The crazy thing to me is that people in Yu-Gi-Oh don't complain about it. That's the craziest thing. They're just, they kind of just are used to it, I guess. So they just take it. I don't know why. Well, yeah, they're all stealing each other's cards to turn a profit. Who needs to win a oh, tournament? Oh my god! All right, there's not that many cheaters in Yu-Gi-Oh. There's just much I didn't say anything more players. About I said stealing. You cheating them out of their backpack? All right, all right, all right. <laughs> but um. So, was, was there any more unhealthy cards that uh, we were talking about? Uh, oh. I, don't, I don't think there was anything in my mind, at least, that I would consider unhealthy. Okay. Like maybe so when maybe victory strike, Toa. but like that's easily fixed. Like when it comes to Toa, I'm not saying the the big Mara should get hit to one. I just wouldn't be surprised if it happened. That's fair, I suppose. And then it's in your life every single game. Oh, that, if that card went to one, and Toa would be unplayable, I think. Yeah. Agreed. One and a and half. like, I don't think it'll happen anytime soon, but that's like something that'll happen. Like, if Toa remains tier one for like four sets, they're gonna be yeah, like, All right, we gotta check this somehow. Yeah. Um. So I just have a few questions for you, Joey, since you're the guest uh, for tonight. Um. Are you going to be going to the Orlando regionals? Uh, unfortunately, I will not be going to Orlando. School starting next week, so I'm going to be on like crackdown mode. Yeah, I got you. So then I guess I can ask you this without having to worry about giving away any of your spice. If you were going, what two to three decks would you look at taking That if you were looking to top the event to get your national invite? Personally, I, like just me from all my testing and playing, I would take Vegeta Baby. I, I don't think it's like a very on-the-radar deck right now, and I really think that this game rewards the surprise factor a lot we just see all the time like oh this crazy deck top that crazy deck top it's like it's only like one spot here and there but it got these people to top cut right you know people don't know how to play around it people don't know what the deck does that can uh, that can go a long way vegeta baby too like red just feels very well positioned in my opinion like having denial of hope it hits most things in the game 
then you have like you know chain tag so you can sideboard in, into zeno if you really wanted to and the baby chain feels very very powerful this format like you can make a three energy baby play get to your six drop then awaken and just like pass so you have like this baby that is basically saying the first thing your opponent plays in the turn is dead and then you have denial of hope waiting to kill the next thing they play so it feels really strong i like how good it is against mira or toa because like they could aim to play like a three drop mira you denial it and then they try to play the five drop and then it gets popped by the baby yeah exactly it solves that problem of like the mira having deflect right because when you denial of hope the card it hasn't been played yet so your baby doesn't proc yet so yep. Now I regret asking you because I wanted to make Vegeta baby for Orlando. So. <laughs> I, would, I would take it, man. People, I feel like people don't respect the deck. I would definitely take it there. Uh, so that's, I just want to run Vegeta the Cruel. That's two weeks in a row now the guest has said to play Vegeta baby. Yeah. Who, who, who else, who else uh, said to play Vegeta baby? Curious. Uh, Russell. Oh, yeah. I didn't think you'd be on the deck. That's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. He's on the deck because it seems like the only deck he's willing to admit has a good matchup into Toa. Like, he sideboarded cards just for Vegeta Baby and never played against it. Yeah, I'm not surprised, yeah, but I think the deck is really strong. It's The thing is, it lacks consistency. That's a big problem. Like, sometimes you won't hit your baby chain, like, until, like, turn four, turn five, which which can hurt. But you have, like, you have some of the best defensive cards in the game between After Image, Denial of Hope, Revenge of Death Ball. Like, you're, uh, you should survive through most things. So yeah, I assume yeah. with that statement that you're a fan of mono red. Yeah, I, I'm not a fan of. I haven't found a red green Vegeta baby list that I like yet. Uh, I'm more of a fan of the mono the mono red because if you play mon, if you play red green, you can't really play the the baby engine in my opinion. You got to be playing like just you know red green good stuff dot deck. So Vegeta the cruel is so good though. And, and that like card is insanely good. That card is insanely good. But uh, I haven't found a red green list that I like personally. Maybe you smoke screen into the green. <laughs> It'd be tough though. Like you probably have to dedicate your entire side deck to it. Like maybe oh, it's oh yeah. <laughs> you could just like take everything out that isn't the uh, the four drop because the four drops just kind of generically good. And or no, it'd be four eight twelve. Yeah, you could take out the whole the whole chain for twelve fifteen cards. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds not good though. So what's another deck you would also be looking to take? Uh so Vegeta Baby is probably a primary, but if you didn't have access to that, uh what's the other deck you would take? Well, yeah, so Vegeta Baby would be like my off the wall pick, I guess, but for consistency, I mean Toa is like an obvious one. It's getting so much rip, but like that mirror match is kind of toxic, so maybe you wouldn't want to take that. Um there's a lot of really good rogue decks right now. Like if you wanted to just like smash Toa's face in, you could take like scuffle time because uh toa obviously doesn't have like a borgos type of card and they have like supreme kai time regulator or sorry time disruptor but that means they can't tap out turn two for regulator so it means there's a lot of different things that can go on there and um no one's really playing the borgoses or the radices right now so that's like a random pick you could take if you wanted to be aggressive um marcus do not get any ideas eh, it could work out well again like that's another deck that people are just <laughs> not going to know what it does and not know how to play against it and honestly that that deck can put on like storm levels of aggro like and you could like side into like the UI package. Oh, I'm I, aware. All these weird, <laughs> all these random things like kind of run through my brain. So like I have these like off the top of my head. But um, yeah. I mean, besides that, like U six is another obvious one. But that deck loses pretty hard to red in my opinion. And then you have like uh, Mir uh, Toa playing like unexpected turn things like that. Um, yeah. So I mean, those would probably be my two picks. Would probably be like either Toa, maybe like something off the walls like. Um, scuffle time and then like vegeta baby 
I actually had a question it, about an unexpected turn. You might be able to answer for me. If yeah, sure. Your opponent has three U6 battle cards in play, and they combo with a Khalifla, and the Khalifla auto triggers. Uh, can you unexpected turn that? I believe so because they already <laughs> met the condition of already having three three and battle cards on board. They're trying to play another one, regardless if it's going on top of one they already have. Yeah, so I believe it would. I believe it would trigger. Yeah. Neat. I was just curious. <clears throat> so. Joey, I have a question that I try to ask as many people as possible um, that we have on here, just as uh, something, a little fun fact towards the end of the show. Um, what is one thing, if you could give a new player some advice on how to get good, uh, what, what would that piece of advice be? How to get good? Uh, well, yeah, besides besides the obvious, like, self-plug to the Patreon YouTube channel and everything, uh, just, <laughs> yeah. like, open up your mind to other players. Uh, I'm actually probably going to do a an article about this for Shenron's Lair soon, where... Like, one of the biggest problems in card games, from my experience playing Yu-Gi-Oh! and Dragon Ball, is just ego. Like, I've had a lot of people come up to me and, like, you know, friends at my locals and stuff that just come up to me and, like, help me out. Like, I want to get good, this and that, but they don't listen to advice, you know. I give them a, a tip, like, I'm watching them play, and I'm like, oh, I don't agree with that play you just made. And they're like, they're arguing with me. Like, well, no, but this, this, and this, and this. Like, I understand if you want to debate a point with me, if you want to debate a play line, that's that's very good, actually. But if you're going to argue with me and just not be open to any um, any criticism, any advice from anyone, that you're not going to grow as a player. So you need to be open to everyone in the game. Like, if you're going to go seek help, ask for it and be open to it. Or just, like, watch that guy at your locals that wins every tournament and just, like, see what he does. Ask him to play a game with you and just make sure you're open to advice. And even, even be open to advice to the worst player in the room because – being able to decipher what is good advice and what's bad advice is also important. That's uh, kind of something people won't think about a lot, but I do think that's pretty important. Yeah. Well, I uh, definitely appreciate that piece of advice. Did anyone have anything else before we uh, wrap this podcast up? I don't think so. Nope. Uh, well, Joey, it's been a pleasure having you, man. Thank you for coming out tonight um, and spending some time with us talking about some cool ideas and some powerful cards and just some ways to identify, you know, maybe your opponent's being a little suspect or maybe, you know, if you do those things and you don't mean to um, just some things that your opponents might be watching. So um, thank you guys so much for having me. Let's let's do it again soon. Yeah. Definitely go and check out uh, Joey Palladino's cross world TCG YouTube channel. Um, It's got some pretty awesome information there. It's definitely one of the resources that I used um, when I first got into the game to get a little bit better. So with that being said, uh, the next time you're at your locals, remember to stay elite.